Welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. I'm Sandra. And I'm Gary. And together we are the Cocktail Lovers. We're a married couple and we've been writing about cocktails for the past 14 years. But this is the place where we talk about cocktails. We'll be talking about products, we'll be talking about books, and we'll be talking about the bars that we love and we think that you'll love too. We'll also be checking in with some of the biggest names in the drinks world and asking them for their top tips to help you up your mixing game at home. We like to think of ourselves as your new best friends, cocktail-wise. So, let's hear what's on the show this week. Cocktail Day? Well, it's certainly National Cocktail Day over in the United States, and that's good enough for us. So, of course, we'll be raising a glass or two including our product reviews, which feature an intriguing variation on a classic, Tia Maria Matcha Cream Liqueur, and from the Holyrood Distillery, Chevalier Charmed Circle Strong Water. For our book choice, we head back to 2012 and the mighty World's Best Cocktails, 500 Couture Cocktails from the World's Best Bars and Bartenders by Tom Sandham. Our bar choice sees us getting a little taste of New Orleans, courtesy of the Alligator Bar at Louis in London. And our guest is Monica Berg, a bartender with one of the most impressive CVs on the global contemporary cocktail scene, and one half of the team behind the brilliant bar, Taya and Elementary. But first, we are the cocktail lovers, so let's make ourselves a cocktail. So for cocktail day, I'm going for one of my all-time favourites, something that I haven't had for quite a long time. But when I first got into cocktails, this was one of the drinks that I used to order a lot, if you remember. And it is? It's a white lady. I do remember. Very, very classic drink that it's dates back to the 20s, I think. And there's two very different variations of the same cocktail. Well, the name of the same cocktail. The first one is by Harry McKellen, and it's in his book, Harry's ABC of Mixing Cocktails. And this one had brandy, creme de menthe, and Cointreau. Oh. Yes, but the second one, which is the version that I like and the one that we're going to be making today, is Harry Craddock's version, which is in the Savoy Cocktail Book. And his version has gin, Cointreau and lemon and he also I think he added an egg white or you can add egg white I'm not going for egg white today but it's a lovely simple very classic sour cocktail right and it is gin we've got 45 mils of gin per cocktail per cocktail per person per person marvelous marvelous so going for the tanqueray Mm-hmm. All right. My glasses are chilling, folks, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> I can vouch for that. I can yeah. see from where I'm sitting, they are indeed chilling nicely. And then we have Quantro, which is a triple sec, and we have 22 mils of that. Oh, that's very specific. It is, oh, isn't it? God. Keep a steady hand while you're pouring there, my 22 friend. mils per serve. So you can you can have a little chat, Gary, while no, I'm doing I'm, this. <laughs> I'm, mes- know, I'm mesmerised by watching you measuring out 22, 22 mils. ml. Yes, Because exactly. I thought if it goes to 23, I'm sending it back. Service! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so <this>. Right, <laughs> and then the same again of lemon juice, freshly squeezed. Okay, so this is 22 as 22 well. 22 mils, okay. yeah. Interesting, in the Simon Diffitt's book, he has 22.5, which is even more specific. <laughs> it's like, Jesus. Right, yeah. right okay. Yeah. So that's gone in. Right. And if you do want a lovely frothy variation, which you can add, you do add 15 mils of egg white okay. now at this stage. But it's funny because I know when you used to have it a lot, the version you used to have, it wasn't with egg white. No, no, doesn't have to be. No. I've had some with egg white. Just gives it another sort of. It gives you a sort of different body, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. exactly. But yeah, with or without, head. great. There you go. We've got that in our shaker. Right, I'm looking happy. forward to seeing your shaking technique. Haven't seen it for a little while. Okay. Here we go. Ooh. Very good. 
very serious expression on your face. You're shaking. Listen, it has to be taken serious. <laughs> okay, so right. the that looks good and cold. Shaker's lovely and frosted. Yeah. I'll discard the ice that we've got in our yeah. lovely coops. They are nice coops, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Very, very and smart. Here it comes. White lady Ooh. cocktail for your delectation. Yeah, apart from the extreme accuracy of the measuring it's a really simple drink to make it is it? Yeah. i love three ingredient cocktails. yeah me too and simple cocktails yeah yeah the real test comes here in it, the taste of course here it comes i'll give you my honest opinion yeah. right cheers. only if Oops. it's good please Let's do a little cheers cheers cheers, cheers. Oh, it is good. I'm going back. I love that. Oh, I'm nice. back on yeah. the white ladies, folks. <laughs> so that. that's our entry cocktail for today. Now let's get on with the rest of it. So when we think of Tia Maria, we of course think of... Coffee. Coffee co liqueur. Coffee liqueur. So I'm going to throw you a curveball. Go on. And I am going, for my choice this week, I am going with Tia Maria Matcha Cream Liqueur. Blimey. Now matcha, matcha is tea. It is indeed. Yeah, so tea. they've gone for the opposite side. So they've got coffee, now tea. They've got coffee, they've got tea. And this is, you know relatively new came out a couple of years ago and at first glance let me show you the bottle it's exactly the same shape as the classic mm. uh coffee liqueur you mentioned but instead of the sort of moody dark bottle this mm. is a nice just bright, bright white white yes with a label um on the front which just hints at the color of the tea which is that green nice. matcha yeah, tea that nice, that nice sort of pastel mm. thing, isn't it so yeah tia maria matcha cream liqueur with natural matcha extract oh so yeah apparently intriguing yeah i mean do you know i don't know much about matcha tea well we've got some matcha tea in the cupboard sometimes i go through these different um things of wanting to try different health benefits yeah. matcha tea is supposed to be a really good antioxidant right it's good for all sorts of things i can't even remember why i've bought it but very green very strong flavor yeah you can use it actually i think that you've had it maybe in ice creams they're beautiful oh, in ice creams yeah, and things like right. that it has got very got... distinct right. flavor and so i have had the tea but i'm not a huge fan to be mm. honest with you but let's see how it works in the cream well liqueur. it's interesting you say it because i'm coming to this not in my mind thinking i know what matcha tea tastes mm. i think you're right about the ice cream but yeah i don't know so I'm just going to open this up and let's see what it's all Does about. Does it need a shake because it's cream? They don't, I don't see. Well, I'll do it. I'm not doing like a cocktail shake. No, no, of course Rotating not. Yeah. the bottle. That's a very good thing, just in case. So let's do that. I've done that. So they describe it as distinctive flavours, a natural caffeine of Japanese green matcha tea. That's extract. the thing. It's a, the caffeine thing because yeah. I know that it's good to have in the morning because it gives you that natural boost that you would get from coffee, mm. but without having the that right. caffeine, you know. Right, so, okay. There we go. Cracking mm, open. It's a big old crackle. <laughs> right, let me just... Oh, it's good. Well... Well, that's what I would expect it to look what, like. What, the colour? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, let me pass you that. So, let's have a little little nose. Hmm. I'm not getting a huge amount on the nose. I don't know about you. What about you? I Well, not huge, but I'm trying to think. It's almost... Um, it's, maybe it's the power of suggestion, but it's almost like a minty... I like the taste of it. It's quite sweet, so I'm sure there must be some added sugars in here. But actually, I think it works really well as a cream mm. um, together. It's, you know, I, I used to be a, a fan of the old Baileys back in the day mm. with my mum. That used to be our Christmas drink. And this reminds me of, of that. I know that Tia Maria are not mm. going to be happy with that. But there is that lovely, that creaminess, yeah. that, those sort of drinks that you do like. But it's got a nice sweetness. kind of refreshing sort of finish. Very light, mm. I think. Mm. But it's got more character to it than I thought. Because when I said salt mm. tea, I thought, mm, I'm not sure. Yeah. But I like that. Also, I should just tell you, they have one very specific serve on their website, right. which probably would be fun to try. They call it a ritual. 
and it's uh, mixing two teaspoons of sugar and one teaspoon of matcha powder in a dish. So you make you sort of uh, mix that together in a dish, little mm. sauce or whatever. And then you have a glass, bit like a sort of rocks kind of glass. Chill that for ten minutes or so, so that it's kind of when you take it out of the fridge, it's got that moisture on it. So you can then. Rather like you would with a salt rim. You can oh, dip it in right. okay. and then you nice. get that rim on yeah, the glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then thereafter, you just put in some ice and pour this over yeah. it. Yeah. And then they say that's all contemplated. I, I think this is really nice. Anybody yeah. that loves these sort of cream liqueur things, I think this is a lovely twist on that. It takes yeah. it in a different direction. The The colour is intriguing, but the taste is actually mm. rather lovely, I it's think. It's got a kind of cleansing Yes, it does. It does. Palette, it I, does. I find rather appealing. And I, I think it's really nice. You know, there has been a lot with coffee liqueurs. So actually to do something with tea in that same kind of category is perfect, I think. Lovely. So that is Tia Maria Matcha Cream Liqueur. It's 17% ABV and it is £16 for a 70cl bottle. So you've gone for a new twist on an old classic, I would say. I'm going for something new as well. And this is what is called a spirit drink. A spirit drink. Yeah. Okay, right. (laughs) I know, intriguing, (laughs) yes. Well, it's called Charm Circle, and it's from those fabulous folk at Holyrood Distillery Mm. in Edinburgh, which we visited quite a while ago. And what they're doing, it's a new make spirit, so it's not quite a whiskey. It is one of those things where it's sort of that unaged bit, you know, the the bit in between. Is this before it goes in the barrel? They blend it with neutral grain spirit and water. And the barley is one of their big things. They're looking at lots of barley in all of their productions. And this one, they've taken it and made, as we said, this spirit drink, which is clear. It's not Mm. whiskey coloured or anything. They've got two variations. Actually, I wanted to try, we've got two. This one's called Chevalier that we've got here. And I wanted to use the Golden Promise, but we'll try Chevalier instead. Okay, well, we'll... Maybe we'll come back to your golden promise uh, <laughs> at another, another now, time. Now, apparently, so these, this is the name of the barley. So this one, Chevalier, and the golden promise. The golden promise was one that was very popular in the 1960s, but it fell out of favour when the East German barleys came in, you know, because oh, wow. they could produce okay. them a lot quicker and more plentiful. Right. So this is their new thing. So as I say, there's two variations on it. Do we want to talk about the bottle before you get into a little brief word on the bottle? Yeah, here you go. Thank you. It's like oh, it's it's nice. It's um, it's like a sort of chunky. Yeah, it's almost brick-like. Yeah, but it's got these nice dimples, big dimples in the sides for gripping, which Mm. is lovely. And the label very stripped back, nice typography. So, yeah, I like that bottle. It looked quite nice on the, nice old, and clean. On the old shelf there, I think. Very modern, and um, they both come with different colours. So this one is a sort of, is that sort of brownie, rusty-coloured label. Yeah. And the Golden Promise is yellow. So now, on the nose. Well, it, not surprisingly, and this is not like some revolutionary breakthrough observation, but as soon <laughs> as I smelt it, it just reminded me of walking into a whiskey distillery. Right, okay. That lovely aroma. But it's not as get. pungent as that. No, I think. but you know that when you walk in and it's just there in the air, mm. it's that, that's what it reminds me of. And nothing wrong with that. Mm. So this, actually, so just going in and tasting it, as we said, very clear. It is that new make that comes off the still that we've we've seen when we do go to Ooh. distilleries. It's a lovely malty it is, kind yeah. of, yeah. So that's barley. Do you remember, mm. what was that drink that you used to have? Um, Ovaltine, is that barley? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there is that underneath, you know, that sort of chocolatey, malty goodness almost but of course with a big hit of alcohol as well um what do you think i really like that i mean i mean it's interesting because it's you you can't and you shouldn't categorize it's kind of got it reminds you of lots of things you could even Mm. say there's a hint of reminding you of a a certain vodkas um Mm. but it's not whiskey as we know it obviously not but it's very pleasing Mm. i mean it's 
got lots of flavour. It's quite floral as well. It's got Mm. lots lots of citrus. But more than anything is that malty undertone, I think, that's there. But yeah, this is is lovely. And they're producing it at the Holyrood Distillery, as I said, in Edinburgh. It is 43% ABV for a 70cl. $34.99 from the Holyrood Distillery um, website. They have, you know... Obviously, you can serve this neat, but they also have one of their serves. It's a French 125 huh? with cognac, oh. lemon juice, champagne, and a little bit of sugar syrup. So that would be rather special, yeah. I think. But I like this. I mean, I've been sipping it while you're talking. It's got a lovely finish. It's, mm. got it's quite out. mellow, actually, it is, isn't it's it? Got, it's, got, it's got lots of layers. I, yes. re- I like this a lot, actually. Yeah. Good. So that is Charm Circle. And as I say, there's two expressions, Golden Promise and Chevalier. And now for a cocktail hack from one of our experts. Hi, my name's Dawn Davies. I'm the head buyer for the Whiskey Exchange. And my cocktail hack is if you're making a daiquiri, sex it up by just adding a little splash of a rum agricole or a claran to really give yourself a little punch. So recently, in fact, only two days ago, we popped into Louis, mm-hmm. which is a restaurant, terrace and bar. And it's got a taste of New Orleans, but it's right in the heart of London. Yes. And the bar is actually called Alligator at yeah. Louis. So it's one of those that you really have to know about because from the outside, it just looks like it's a restaurant. Yeah. But actually to access the bar, you have to go through the restaurant up a lift onto the third floor, I think it is. is. And it will take you into this lovely, it's quite a nice oasis, actually. It's a very cool, very chill, very, I'm going to say that word. Here it comes. Elegant. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Setting. But it is really beautiful, very grown up and really, you want to hunker down in it. I was going to say grown up. And also it's a bit sexy. Yeah, it it is. is. We went a a really good time, actually, because we went just at the time that it opens, which is six o'clock. And that's a clever little time to go because they have this lovely aperitivo hour where you can sample some of the drinks at a bargain price. Yeah. But you've got the beauty of the room to yourself. Because actually, as the night goes on, it gets busier. It gets very party time. It's like, you know, New Orleans, actually. Yeah, absolutely. We're in that whole party vibe. And they do have live music. And later on in the week, they have DJs. But it's very much, it builds up to this crescendo (laughs) of excitement and joy, doesn't it? But if you go early on, like we did, this is a perfect time to sample the cocktail. And if you are a night person, it goes on till 2am, which is pretty handy. Mm. So Um, what do we want to say? So let's talk a little bit about the drinks Mm -hmm. so the menu the cocktail menu it's called black magic cocktails and it's uh, inspired by not surprisingly just images and icons and pictures from new orleans yeah and i mean if you're going to take inspiration from anywhere about cocktails it should be new orleans because it is a place where so many cocktails were invented or created you know so and where many cocktails are enjoyed so Let's talk about what we had yeah. at Louis. So we start with the absinthe frappe because mm. that was fun, wasn't it? The yes. serve was fun, and it's it's something that I think that everyone should have because yeah. it's very much that is a taste of New Orleans. It's the absinthe, you yeah. know. And what they've done, they've created their own fun absinthe fountain, which comes out of an alligator. Yeah, not as real you do. alligator, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But safety. it's called it's called the alligator bar, so yeah. why not? Yeah. And it is. It is lovely, and it's a really nice, very fresh, very palate-cleansing drink, I would say. Yeah. It has, what's it? It's got it's absinthe and pear and, and something and else. And jasmine. Yeah, so yeah. very soft, really beautiful. Yeah, it's quite light. Yeah. Yeah, and what I liked about it, because... I'm one of those people, I like absinthe used subtly. Yes, I don't yes, like it yeah. in my face because yeah. uh, it can just take over. But this is exactly what this did. It was a refreshing drink. And it was just a nice hint of absinthe. Mm, mm. It's a good one to start with, I think, really. Yeah, just it just gets really you is, in the mood. And yeah. um, what else did we have? Uh, one of the ones I liked was yeah. um, 
the Milky Way, which oh, had um, Seven Tails Brandy, Bacardi 8 Rum, Sunflower Seed, Baked Bread, they say, mm. and Oat Milk. And I'm not really a milky type of cocktail person, but this had the right level of, I don't know, there was just something really lovely about the way that it had been balanced. It was light, it was fresh, but it did have a little hint of, of creaminess, but not too much. And also with those rums and, and the brandy, it just it was a delicious, delicious sort of punch that worked well for me. What about yeah. you? Well, it's interesting you said about the bread, because I think in a lot of the drinks here, there's lots of re regular or nice, delicious ingredients, but then there seems to be always like a kind of, unusual curveball thing. yeah <laughs> like so you had that and then one of my favorites i really liked louisiana gold mm. oh yes, yes which was made with remy martin 1738 noely prat grand monnier clarified grapefruit champagne cordial and gold yeah what was the gold the gold was like a little gold spray because gold is can be edible gold um, spray and it does give gives the drink because it's served in a nice old-fashioned coupe like mm. those what i always think of champagne coupes from 1950s and 60s but it when it catches the light you get those little flickers of gold mm. catch on. but in terms of flavor you know it's very champagne intense cocktail. drink yeah mm. it's a really intense drink and it's one of those ones once i started sipping i found it difficult to stop yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we did <laughs> in, a, in a very good we way did, did yeah, clean it, that it was one a up. delicious drink i really i think this might have been my favorite drink yeah actually. also yeah. one of the other clever ones i thought was the louis stout which was yes the kappa yes. 23 rum amaro malt we've gone back to malt again aperitif wine chocolate and then they had this beer foam and so it comes and it looks like guinness really and yeah. then the the beer foam just keeps reminding you of that stout that yeah, you know that look, they're trying that to acquire yeah it, it yeah. was really really clever really beautiful beautiful drink i really enjoyed that go on i'm going to pick one more drink yes i also really liked a streetcar named desire which was bullet 10 year old bourbon red wine cacao nibs reduction and cream soda oh yes now, yes this was really interesting yeah i love that it was very know, nostalgic we, yeah we it? both had a big conversation about that mm. when it came because cream soda is something i loved as a child mm. absolutely loved it and you don't I'd, have it anymore no i'd, I'd forgotten all about yeah, it yeah and yeah here yeah. it was as the lengthener so not yeah. your traditional mixer or lengthener but it, it played a part in the drink. It played a big part in the drink because however much those layers were, you still came back to the cream soda. Yeah. And as I say, that's where the nostalgia came yeah, in because really, it just had this lovely, rich, lovely velvety thing of yeah. cream soda, which I love. It really was nostalgic. Yes. It made, me very, made us very happy. Yeah. So, so that, that I liked. And should we show, say a brief word about the stacks? Yes. Yes. Go on. I think we should because mm. this is always a big thing for us. So we, we picked uh, three dishes i think mm. the crispy calamari with marinara sauce mm -hmm. which was fantastic pork cheek croquettes, croquettes. yeah i love herb those. mustard yes and then potato and smoked cheese croquettes yeah so the snacks are all about what about 14 to 18 pounds yeah or so. yeah and um, there's lobster roll which is you know lobster roll prices yeah. and they also because it is new orleans inspired there are oysters very much on the menu here the 6.50 each in the evening but as i say that aperitivo hour is a good time to go top tip because every tuesday and two friday from six till eight you can get oysters of the day for three pounds and you can pair them with a Rockefeller martini and then they have some Hendrix drinks that are on the menu everything from Hendrix martini G&T and Negroni that are 10 pounds each so well, it's a good like time that. to yeah. to go and check it out as, as I say it's a beautiful looking room and it's so it's very date night but also mm. great for you know meeting up with friends and things like that and also for the the music and the cocktails what's not to love i couldn't agree more <laughs> I couldn't agree. so that is the alligator bar at louis 
Now, we've done over previous episodes lots of new cocktail books because there are lots of new cocktail books and many of them are fantastic. But also, it's sometimes fun to dip into the the library. To the archives. Into the archives (laughs) and go back in time. So that's exactly what I've done today. So I'm going back to 2012 and I've gone for... World's Best Cocktails, 500 Couture Cocktails from the World's Best Bars and Bartenders by Tom Sandham. Wow, that's a long old title, isn't it? I know. I'm just going (laughs) to take a breath, have a little sip of one of my drinks here. Um, Tom Sandham, particularly well known these days as one half of the amazing Thinking Drinkers with Ben McFarlane. Mm -hmm. And they do a live show. And if you haven't seen it, folks, you you must must catch it. Absolutely magic. It's funny and it's educational, but Yes, it's really funny. Mm. So do catch that. So he's one half of that. But he's also a distinguished drinks writer. And this book, it's a big old book. It was weighing down our shelves. It's, a, I suppose you'd call it almost like a coffee table book. Mm. It's 300 pages. It's 500 cocktails. I know, 500. I wow. know, 500. And it's it's great. It's packed with information. There's stories of cocktails. There's sections on aperitifs, digestives, etc. Well, let me pass it over to you. I mean, Tom um, is a great storyteller, isn't he? He is. Really so good. that comes through in the book. And he, it's clearly... I mean, there's, it's clearly a lot of work gone mm. into it. God knows how long it took him to do. But it's really a labour of love, I think, mm. as well. As I say, it's got bartender profiles and bars featured. Now, there's a sort of double edge to the bars mm. being featured. Some because, of them closed? Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's sad. When I opened it earlier and I saw Milk and Honey in there, it's like my heart sank. Because mm. Milk and Honey in London was always one of our favourite, favourite places. So... No longer with us. But on the positive side, right in there still is the Connell, which is still absolutely mm. smashing mm. it 11 years later. So it's, it's like, but it's interesting to sit and look through this because yes. it's like a snapshot of 2012. Yeah, and that it period. really is. I mean, it's not a long time ago, but it actually is a long time it ago. It like when, a long yeah, time yeah, ago, yeah, cocktail yeah. wise. Mm. Yeah. Wow, and, and the photography is nice. It's by uh, Rob Lawson, Rob Lawson, who mm. we we've worked with, and he's a fantastic drinks photographer. Wow, God, there's so much. There's there's history. There's cocktail recipes. There's profiles. There's there's breakdowns on the drinks themselves. It's just like bloody hell. Yeah. What he hasn't put in this yeah, book is it's an amazing mm. book, and it's it's one of those books. I say it's like a snapshot of the time. It's one of those I just enjoyed earlier today. Just. Just reading through, re- mm. reminiscing, I think is the word. Mm. And uh, you know, you suddenly see a picture of like um, Ago from the Connaught looking, you know, eleven years younger, <laughs> but still looking fantastic. Yeah. And you know, there's lots of people in there, like Alex Cretina. You know, he's you know come so far since then. Mm. He was in the at Art- the Artesian then. And as you say, the drinks themselves, five hundred drinks, and I was just dipping into those. Some of their classics. There's lots of variations on them. So it's just a really enjoyable. Book. Is it is it still available? Yes, I double checked. Great, because I suddenly thought, oh gosh, great! Talk about a book, yeah, we can get it. Yes, it is. Particularly if you go to the Thinking Drinkers website. Oh, brilliant! And we'll put this on our yeah. show notes and on our website, but which is the Thinking Drinkers own website, and you can get the book there, and you can get it as a bargain price because it's normally thirty pounds, but on there you can get it for twenty pounds. So I think it's wow, a real it's bargain, a great book. Pounds. I think that if you do like cocktails, it's something that you should have, and it doesn't matter that some of the bars no longer exist. It gives you a little bit of a snapshot into that time and what yeah. they were all about. You've got bars like the Artesian, all of those things that are still available, but great profiles wonderful recipes and actually some really really good descriptions of cocktails themselves so there we are world's best cocktails 500 couture cocktails from the world's best bars and bartenders by tom sandham not ashamed to say that we've got a bit of a crush on Monica Berg. Since meeting her 12 years ago, when she was moving and shaking up the bar scene in Oslo, having already bought and operated the bar school where she learned her trade, we might add, we've followed her career as she moved to London, first working as head bartender at Pollen Street Social, 
then on to the opening team at Himco in Norway before opening the award-winning Taya and Elementary, which she co-founded and co-owns with partner Alex Kretainer. But she's so much more than a bartender owner. In between all of that, she's found time to co-found Poor, a non-profit symposium focused on bar culture, written numerous thought-provoking features for industry magazines, including guest editing an issue of the Cocktail Lovers magazine, launched a series of products and co-launched Back of House, a digital platform for hospitality workers to anonymously report harassment and discrimination. Little wonder why Campari has chosen her as its creative director and she's top of everyone's lists when it comes to visionaries in the world of drinks. And she has the accolades to prove it, including Altos Bartender's Bartender of the Year and being voted number one on the Bar World 100 list. We're so thrilled that she's found time to join us today. Monica, welcome to the Cocktail Lovers podcast. Thank you. It's actually like my first podcast. No, it's not. It's my second. But ah, yeah, well, still, baby, baby's podcast. Yes. Brilliant. Firstly, Monica, can we put you right on the spot and ask you to describe yourself? Who is Monica Berg? I think that's the million dollar question because <laughs> I think it's very difficult to to pinpoint because it's I'm like it's so many things. Well, but I will say. I am someone who loves working in hospitality. I love having spent most of my adult life in bars, behind bars, the right bars, not the wrong ones, uh, luckily. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've given or I've been given so much from this industry that it's always felt like home to me, regardless of where in the world I am, because I've, I've worked in Norway, I, where I'm from, I worked in Greece, and now I'm in London. So really is some yeah probably something that defines more of me than what I realized before the pandemic but definitely yes I would say I'm someone who who loves being in bars <laughs> I love that well we it, love that. it really helps anyway because you spend so much of your time in bars so that is fantastic so speaking of that how when and why did you get into bartending so, I mean, I started in hospitality before I was old enough to work in bars. So my career started uh, selling ice creams, actually, um, which, I mean, is a different vehicle flavor. But I started working in bars while I was studying because it was back then, as it is now, the perfect job next to your studies, uh, essentially. And... You know, I've always been interested in flavors, aromas, these kind of things. Originally, I wanted to be a chef, but my parents, they said no. <laughs> and, and so they kind of allowed me to work in bars uh, while I was at school. And then eventually, then school became less and less and working became more and more. And uh, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting. You sort of make it sound like, oh, it's very simple. But I know there's a lot more going on behind that. But but in terms of your whole journey, you know, you've had an incredible journey from, you know, starting as a part-time person doing a little bit on the side, as you say, to where you are right now. But along the way, you've had many, many roles. So could you tell us a little bit about what you've learned from some of the things you've done and how they culminate in what you now do with Alex with your great Bartea in elementary? Well, I mean, more or less, I've, I've had every role in the, in, that you can have in a bar. Uh, I've been bar backing, I've been you know, cleaning, I've been server, which is what I'm probably the worst at. <laughs> so I have so much admiration for people that are on the floor uh, in our industry. And, you know, I've, I've worked my way up. Um, over the years, I, I was quite selfish when I was younger because I didn't really want to have responsibility. I was given responsibility very early and then I kind of stepped back um, because I wanted to have the kind of selfishness of being able to go and learn what I wanted to learn and just um, be dependent on myself. Um, so I've definitely t- taken choices that were perhaps a little bit unconventional or that other people would have advised me not to do um, just because it felt like the right choice for me. Um, so 
Yeah, I think the, my biggest lesson over the years is that, you know, you should never be so locked into anything that you can't see that there's different ways of achieving what you want. But also just really trying to get to the point where you have the courage or you have the confidence to trust your instincts because they will always guide you. And then lastly, I, I would say that, you know, as much as we think that shortcuts and learning and all these things can can come in different paces there's nothing ever that will replace hard work and sometimes you just have to you know roll up your sleeves and 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 work and just look down and and get rid of all the distractions because at the end of the day if you want to be good at something or if you want to be great or the best either uh, depending on how you define that really do need to work for it there's no Yes, there's this old, like long-term goal of having better work-life balance, perhaps. But sometimes that balance has have to just be unbalanced for you to get to where you want to be. But actually, because there is such a thing about everyone is striving for work-life balance. But I think when you're doing something for yourself, it's almost impossible to achieve. But, you know, tell us about... Taya and elementary and actually the thinking behind it it's such a fantastic bar and I just want you to explain to people who haven't been there what makes it so special and what was your rationale behind it well I mean Taya elementary is it's more or less a continuous work in progress I would say because originally okay so let's start from the beginning is essentially it's Alex and mine dream bar. It's the bar that we want to work in, but it's also the bar that we would want to go to if we were able to. And in the future, hopefully we will be. Um, but, you know, it's a very selfish in the way that all, most of the choices have been taken based on our preferences. Because I don't think that always every bar needs to cater for every person. It needs to cater for those who line with what you want and what you uh, appreciate and so it's a bar that kind of consists of two so you have elementary which is in the front it's the street facing part and that's what confuses a lot of people i think because it's obviously the second part of the name but in elementary essentially uh, everything that is not elementary or essential to running a bar has been stripped away that's why the drinks they kind of start uh, as the drink and then you work your way backwards in order to find a way that the drink can remain the same high quality as if they were made a la minute. But everything is made ahead of time. So all of the kind of most of the work is done before you even open the door or before the bar even opened because it had to be done in the build up of the of the space so that once you open the door and guests start coming in, is 100% about the guests and about the guest experience. So, you know, the drinks are all pre-batched and pre-made, coming either from a tap system that is especially made for us, designed for cocktails, not for necessarily beer and wine, but we have that as well. But uh, and Or they come from a freezer that maintains the temperature in, to the point where we want uh, it to be. And then everything is built around being social, being that public, even though it's private, but public space where people can come, they can have fun, they can come and they can drink drinks that they either recognize or don't. But it's a place to be social. It's not a place where you go and necessarily watch the bartender work because for many guests, that's not a big part of why they go out. Um, and I think that's that's great, you know. And then you have taller in the back, which comes from the word comes from Spanish, and it means workshop. So it kind of is a place where nothing is ever finished. Everything is always an experiment. And here is really about you as a guest being in the center of where it all is happening. So you know all of the things that you conventionally would have been able to find in a bar has been kind of taken away because we want as soon as you walk into the room we want you to feel a little bit uncomfortable in the sense that oh i don't really recognize anything here so it gives it puts you in a mindset where uh, it allows you to be open to new experiences because in taller we are playing around a lot with ingredients we want people or we want to explore what is possible in terms of flavor when drinks are the canvas 
and there are no rules essentially, except obviously it has to be delicious. It's interesting because something you said a couple of times there, Monica, about things being like experimental work in progress was very, very much came through. And with that in mind, since you opened the doors of Teo, which I'm guessing was that what four, five years ago? Yes, it's four almost soon. Uh, it will be in June. So in that time, as a work in progress, what are some of the things that you've kind of evolved or changed or tinkered with, that kind of thing? Well, firstly, elementary, I think, was elementary when it started was kind of the, the, the space that we never had that much time to dedicate our attention to. And during the pandemic, when we had the, the, the various different lockdowns, we decided to keep Tayer closed for most of it. Uh, sometimes it was due to the regulations uh, and requirements, and sometimes it was just due to the fact that it's, it just wasn't viable to keep it open. So during the lockdowns, and uh, when we were allowed to be open, elementary started to really uh, develop this kind of very tight uh, or big, local community you know it's become the neighborhood bar that we always dreamt that it would be and it has guests that probably don't even know that Tayer exists and they don't care either because they love elementary so much we have you know we have guests that we see two three times a week and that's a lot for a bar that's open five days <laughs> and then you know during that we really managed to dedicate all of our attention to it so we made it better we realized that you know, the minimalist concept that we thought that would work, it didn't work. And so we changed concepts to now being much more, you know, there's much more people uh, from our side working during operations uh, or uh, opening hours. Whereas before it was based around this idea of the space being belonging to the guests and kind of only have one person, member of staff serving. Uh, whereas now we do table service well we only have one table but we do seated um, service in the sense but we also love standing we now have a terrace outside which gives us a lot of you know um, a walk uh, or footfall during the summer um, and then for Taya we're starting to kind of trying to figure out the new, the, a new concept not a new concept but just allowing it to mature since you know, uh, opening back after the pandemic, because I think people's way of drinking, way of going out has changed. You don't want it to be too serious, but at the same time, you want to deliver expectations because it is a concept that people will travel for, um, Tayer, I mean, and, and you just want to want people to be happy when they come. And are you happy? I am very happy because um, now we've, we were speaking with the team the other day about it because last year was actually the first time where, where we did 12 months uninterrupted business where there was no forced closures. So now we can start to see the potential of the place because we've had enough time to build up, you know, a, a nice regulars that uh, comes back again and again, but also having people travel in. So you start to see how far you can push the space because the space is always the physical limitations that, you know, you can only have so many people inside, but then you start to look at how can you make sure that people get inside or how can you make sure that they get served and do you always want to fill it to the brim? Maybe you don't because you want people to be comfortable and you start to look at these kind of things and, you know, having being really seeing that that uh, you also have new people joining the team and and they are excited to be a part of the team and even though they weren't originally part of the original uh, crew that you see that the team evolves as well so it is really nice and to be feel that you belong where you are in that sense because old street is very unique london is very unique growing into that into that fill that space is it feels really great good also you've got some amazing bottled cocktails so you're having those you've got people coming in for those as well so it's a fantastic offering that you've got there how does that work do you get people coming in specifically for that or do they come in and take them as they're going off after they've been there for the evening it's both actually because you know a lot of what i think a lot of people don't 
well, especially outside of London, what they don't realize is that um, Islington or the area where we are is one of the densest populated areas in London. There's a huge pockets of of locals, and you know they come to really brace us. So, like a lot of people, when they're entertaining people at home, they will just stop because we always give you. If you come in and buy the drinks at the bar, we'll always give you complimentary ice. You know, we some of them even have our glassware so that they can have the full experience. And and a lot of guests as well, like travelers, they they will buy some of the drinks that they really enjoyed during the the visit and take home and introduce. So it's become this whole community where, you know, we have regulars that we maybe see once or twice a year, but they still drink our drinks throughout um, the time that they are not with us and stuff like that. So it's it's really it's nice and it's you know it's definitely something that I personally uh, believe in very very much this whole like having the drinks that you recognize from the bar that you enjoy drinking and then translating or transforming it into an experience at home or anywhere you want so obviously uh monica you work with your partner alex how do you divide your roles and, and actually you know working together so closely what have you learned about each other well i mean in the beginning, when we started working together, it was definitely a, I wouldn't say a challenge, but maybe a little bit challenge because you just have to learn how to set boundaries and how to, um, how to separate between work and private because the way that you communicate uh, privately, obviously, is very different than what you do professionally because sometimes especially in our industry uh, you have to be very direct especially during service when you communicate because you you need something from other people and you need it right now <laughs> you know so it uh, communications definitely and we've learned that you always need to spend a lot of time uh, discussing things or talking things through to the point where you understand how the other person thinks and uh, and kind of now we're at the point where it's very rare that I will uh, run something by Alex and not having anticipated what's his response going to be because we know each other so well that but out of respect you just go and say like this and this and this happened I just thinking like this I just want to run it past you so you know so that there's no surprises on the other side and this is like more also because we realized this in the beginning, that is one of the reasons why, for example, our bar only has one email so that the communication goes and it's open so that everybody can see. Because one of the things that can be sometimes a little bit challenging is like people come and they say, oh, I spoke to Alex, he said this. I was like, I'm pretty sure he didn't, but okay, fine. <laughs> um, or vice versa, yeah. you know, because people always try yes. to find a way in. So... I think that's one of the biggest lessons, but also I think what is really nice about it, if you can make it work, if you can find a way to work with your partner, would be to, um, you always have someone that you can depend on. So like you have someone that has your back regardless because our motivations or our goals all of it aligns. So, so what is good for me is good for Alex as well. So it feels very nice to have that kind of layer of protection. So, you know, because it can be hard to run a business and you, sometimes you just need to have someone who can, you know, pick you up off the floor Absolutely. and like say, it's going to be fun. We, we hear you, Monica. We hear yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we get it. <laughs> so tell us, what's the most rewarding thing about what you do? I think um, people side of it, because, um, you know, there's something really special about when you look at some, for example, someone who comes and spends their birthday or spends their anniversary, even just comes there because something nice happened and they want to share it with you. Or if they have a bad day and they feel like this is the place that they can go to kind of counter that. So on one side, I would say that, but also, you know, like working with people that or building a team can sometimes be very rewarding because you get to meet people that you probably normally wouldn't meet in life. Maybe you would, but you certainly wouldn't be friends. But you get to have people very close in your life that is not necessarily your family, but they sometimes feel like it. But 
you know, in, in hospitality, we are so much more dependent on each other than, for example, if you work in an office, because in, in hospitality, you kind of have this um, timing uh, issue that not timing issue, but that's a sensitivity that you have not in other places because, you know, when a guest comes uh, and visits and you put the order through, if the kitchen comes and says, oh, actually, we're going to send you the dessert next week, that doesn't really work, you know, because then the guest experience will be bad. But if you don't send that last email on the Thursday evening and wait until Friday morning and send it, it's going to affect maybe one or two people, but not in the same way that it will affect us as a team so you know in hospitality you really learn to depend and trust people that you normally wouldn't um, and it just ties you much closer i think um, than many other other professions and, and in, in that you know we've talked or you've talked about you know what is the really rewarding and totally understand what you're saying there and what about the opposite of that what's the hardest most challenging thing of what you do I think probably the sometimes the the challenge can be a little bit in the sense that even though it's a a bar is private space but it's also a public space so you do have to be someone who is comfortable with having people around you at all time and having you know being even if it's very condensed to a very small space being somewhat public, like people will come and they will talk to you. And in sometimes you wish that you had a bit more time for yourself. But I mean, that's the beauty of it also. You know, we people, I don't know. I, I like having people around me. It's just, so I don't know if it's a challenge actually. Maybe it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. If you can't find any challenges, that means it's perfect. So as well as the bar, you find time to get involved with lots of great things, great projects, great products, all sorts of things. And as well as working with Campari Academy, can you tell us about some of the highlights in your wonderful career and particularly about what you're doing now? Well, I think, you know, at some point um, in your career, in your life, you get to a stage where you're, you're getting older. It's, kind of it's always going to happen you know and you get to a point where you have the possibility of giving back and and kind of opening doors for other people and through the privilege that you've been given or that you work your way up to have and, and i think you know it's a cliche but you should always seek to leave the industry or leave any situation better than what it was when you entered and i think that you know, our industry is uh, an industry that doesn't have the benefit of formalized education, formalized uh, kind of um, routes to success, because it, it looks so different from anywhere you are in the world. And I think that what our industry does need is uh, more focus on this and giving, you know, giving education beyond like, oh, this is the best types of spirits for, to drink for spring or this is the best types of drinks to make for for winter but we need to give also the younger generation the tools that they need to get the careers that they want and I think that for me it was very exciting for example when Campari uh, Academy came and asked me to be part of like this project where it's essentially now going from being 13 local academies around the world to being centralized and being kind of a network of academies but with the global academy on top that can you know help streamline uh, this process a little bit but also you know creating this platform for bartenders uh, from everywhere in the world uh, where they can gather and if they have something to say eventually hopefully uh, it will be a platform that can facilitate that you know that can be the kind of catalyst for or vehicle for the younger generations to get to where they want to be because there's always this i don't know catch 22 that when you're young and you have all of the energy you have all of the passion you have all of the hopes and dreams nobody really wants to trust you or to give you that benefit of the doubt because you're young and you haven't achieved anything but then when you are older i'm not saying that i'm old but when you're older and you kind of understand maybe how to get those things you 
don't have the energy, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> or you don't have the freedom to do it. So if we can combine the two, and for example, I can use some of my, you know, I don't know, even know what to call it, but some of, for example, my expertise, voice mm. or expertise to help that to happen, then we can really start to see what is the future of our industry going to look like because the next generation of these yeah. thinkers and change makers, we give them while they're still, you know, not too affected by the world shaping them in the way that we're supposed to be. They can like actually have the freedom to, you know what, whoever said that, well, you know, but... <laughs> You're talking about um, professionals. What about, because we are, we, we are aimed at consumers as well. Do you have any tips for people making cocktails at home? Because some people, they sort of think, yes, you go out to a bar. That's great. That's one experience. But also you want to be able to make some cocktails at home. Do you have any nice tips for them to do things? Yes. So if you want to make delicious cocktails at home, you it's like cooking. You have to make a little bit of an effort because, no, when people say, oh, you can shake your cocktail in a jam jar. Yes, you can. But do you really want to shake your cocktail in a jam jar? No. <laughs> Go and buy yourself a proper shaker. <laughs> you know, like have some, I'm, I'm decent there. If you want to do something, then go for it and do it properly. You know, learn a little, take some time, buy a cocktail book. There's wonderful cocktail books out there. You know, I'm not going to name drop anyone because I don't want to get anyone in trouble. But, um, and then ice. Ice is the absolute one thing that separates professional people making drinks in bars like myself and people making drinks at home. Ice is the cheapest ingredient that you will uh, use probably, but it's the most important thing. And the more ice you use, more the better your cocktails will be. So, and this is, you know, this is chemistry. This is uh, science. This is not me telling you something that you shouldn't believe, but it, it is. If you fill your glass with ice to the, to the rim, then the ice will melt less because it will work together. It will be colder faster. If you have like one sad little ice cube inside, the whole ice cube will use we so much energy. We keep saying that. I'm glad it's come from you. Maybe people will yeah. listen. And also, I, just, uh, I know they're all your children, but is there, if you could, what's your favorite cocktail on your menu right now? On the menu right now. So in Tayyar, we change the menu every day. So that is kind of before you even blink, you, it will be gone. But in, <laughs> I would say in, Elementary, or actually, something that is always on the menu, I will say. The one, one sip martini. martini. We love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's our favorite. <laughs> Everybody yes. has to have a one sip martini at least once, at least. Yes. yes. <laughs> I agree with that. And it's, you know, it's a very gentle introduction to the martini category as well, because it is essentially a vodka martini, which is very cold, but it has a little bit of uh, sherry, so it's a bit... Um, soft mm. yes and then it comes with the like a blue cheese olive uh, the best everybody it really <laughs> is the best we've got it in the next issue of our magazine coming up so read about it in there um and also what else is in the pipeline for oh no i didn't get you to say another cocktail because that one is staple but is there another one of your babies that you want to highlight well i think well, I do really like the season that we are going into now, just getting over the next few weeks of bad weather. But um, for the summer season, I will say that the yuzu margarita is uh, is a slushy. So it's a, it's a frozen yuzu margarita, and it's one of our really popular drinks all all year. But in the summer, it's Comes yeah, into it's kind of cool. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> right, before we go, what's in the pipeline? Anything we need to get excited about? Have you got any new products coming out, new clothes? You're always doing different little merchandise things. What's on the horizon? Well, I mean, we are we just launched a new orange wine, so that was very exciting. Uh we have we have a few limited editions coming up now in the in the spring, which is like kind of this annual thing for us that follows some of the seasons, like the Sakura season, for example. Um, and then, yes, we have a new t-shirt coming very soon. And it's um, something that you can wear when you're cycling really fast on your bicycle. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'd have to get a bike. I'd better buy a bike. <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. Oh, Monica, it's been a real pleasure. And I know that you're so busy and it's been amazing that you found some time because as we said at the beginning, we are huge fans of yours and we do have a crush on you. So it's been wonderful spending time with you. And we must, we urge everybody, if you haven't been to the bar, go and at least have a one sip martini and then work your way through the rest of the menu because it's an absolute joy. Thank you so much, Monica. Thank you, Monica. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cocktail Lovers podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please tell your friends and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. For more details on the people, places and products mentioned today, head over to our website, thecocktaillovers.com.